Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Praise the Lord. Can we have God a hand clap of praise? Y'all do me a favor and stand to y'all feet and give God some glory. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I am excited to be here. Oh, come on, y'all. This ain't for me. This is for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our God, he is God, and he is worthy to be praised. I'm so excited to be here amongst all of the saints. Amen. Let's have a, a word of prayer. God, we thank you. We bless you, Lord God, because truly there is none like you, Lord God. Your love, your love truly, truly never runs out. It never runs away, and it never gives up on us, Lord God. We give your name all the glory, honor, and pray. Be in this place with us, Lord God. Rest with us this morning, Lord. Do any and everything it is that you want to do in our lives, Lord God. We, we're, we open up our ears to hear, Lord God, our eyes to see, Lord God, what it is that you have to say. Let your word come forth in true power and conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you go to your seats, go ahead and, and high-five your neighbor next to you. Let them know that you're glad to see them this morning. And don't forget you in church, so you need to mean that. Amen. 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 I want to start off the message today with uh, one word. Good. Good. Now, good is, a, good is a word that we use to describe something that's pleasant, right? Something that's pleasant or beneficial, something that we like. You may say, oh, I got a good car. My kids are making good grades. You might have had a good workout and went on a, on a good run, right? We use that word good to describe things that are pleasant or make us feel good. But the interesting thing about the word good is that it's also the word that God used in the first chapter of Genesis to describe his work of creation. Amen? Amen. Tell, some, tell your neighbor, good. Good. God creates light, and he said it was what? Dry land, and he said it was trees. Good. The moon. Sea animals. Animals. Both of those the same. One of them is in the water. But when, God, when, we, when we get to verse 31... It's interesting because after making man, God says that it was very good. Apparently, God knew he had put some stank on it when he had made man. So that just wasn't good. It was exceedingly good. However, it's not until we get to chapter 2, verse 18, that we see that God says something was not good. The scripture reads, then the Lord says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. Isn't it ironic that alone or isolated is the first thing recorded that God says is not good? In fact, in the whole entire Bible. Now, it's not that God, that there was some deficiency in the things that God had made, but just a mere observation that there was something else that God needed to do specifically for Adam himself. Adam had nobody that was like him. And though he apparently had everything at that moment, he was alone, one, because God said so, but he needed somebody. He had no one that was 
like him to connect with. So having everything and being by himself, but let me ask you, what good is having everything if you have no one to share it with? Amen? So the result, God puts Adam to sleep, put, takes a rib from him, and makes Eve, right? Now, look, we're all created to honor God, but truly none of us were ever meant to be alone. And when God makes Eve, if you think about it, it's literally the last thing that God makes. And it's not that God just made another person, but in fact, God made relationships. With Eve came relationships. And God values relationships. Now, look, we all need relationships, whether we think we do or not. We all need relationships. And this ain't a sermon about marriage before we get started. This ain't a, ser- this ain't a sermon about marriage, though it can be used in, in, in reference to marriage. But this is about relationships in general. You see, relationship is the way. Somebody say the way. Two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. And it's how we feel about those connections that influence how we regard and even respond to them. Now, with people, it's a little tough because the same ones that love us dearly can be the same ones that hurt us. Amen? But on the flip side, the people who may help you the most may be people that you don't even know. Ever been stuck on the side of the road and need somebody to help push you to the gas station? Ever been on the side of the road and somebody stopped to help you change a tire? Or, or, or maybe you, you, you've helped out with, with meal train. You see, the challenges and complexities of having relationships have never been more evident than they are today in our culture. We have more ways to communicate than ever before. You can text, tweet, email, DM, Facebook Messenger. You can, you can hit people on the kick. I don't know. Do people still kick anymore? I don't know. Probably not. Instagram, I ain't got one. You can snap whatever the kids say that is. And, and if you're old school, you probably just want to call and sit and carry a pigeon. And with all of these different ways to communicate, we still find people having a hard time with relationships. We got hundreds of friends on Facebook, but no friends in real life. Divorce is still at an all-time high. Families are still stressed, and meeting people is still hard. And yes, internet dating is still scary. Ever been catfished? Hopefully not. (laughs) It's enough to say bump it. You know, I'm good. I'm I'm good by myself. I ain't got to worry about it. I'm going to just do me. But yet, and still, God says that relationships are important, and that alone is still not good. So with Jesus as our model and the Bible as our compass, not only can we live an uncommon life, but we can thrive in uncommon relationships. Now, we're in the book of Philippians chapter 2, and we see here that this particular book, now, first of all, Paul loved the Philippians. He loved them. They were a people that loved God, and they loved They loved each other, and they loved him. They cared for Paul many, many times. Paul prayed for them daily, and he longed to be with them. Notice, he didn't say he longed to be with the Corinthians or any of the other churches, but he longed to be with the Philippians because they were doing what they were supposed to do. And Paul, having suffered persecution, knew that they would suffer too, and so he encourages them to stay one, single-minded, stay together, and to stay unified in the faith. These things would not only keep their relationships solid, but uncommon. Let's look at what the scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, therefore, if any 
Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in of one, being one in the spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul said that they needed to stay together, single-minded, and unified. Now, look, there's something that's powerful about being about unity. There's something that's power, extremely powerful about unity. It's a heavenly virtue. If you think about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are always on the same accord. Amen. They're always moving in the same direction with a common purpose and a common mission. Wherever there's unity, there's an environment of peace. Maybe not necessarily conflict, but there's definitely a place where there's no war. There's harmony. Every, everything working together in an exponential component to unity where all of us are able to do way more together than we ever could do apart. We see the early church where they were all on one accord. They prayed together. They studied the word of God together. They also, they also were sharing and fellowshipping together. The result of this, the apostles had done, well, God had performed many miracles in the midst of them in the early church. We see unity in a good life. But unity can also be used to do the wrong thing. We see in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, where we have the Tower of Babel. Anybody know about the Tower of Babel? It says here, God looks down and the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. Can you, can you see? Can you, this is the SMH of the Bible right here. I don't know if there's ever another time where God said that the, all the people, all the people was together, and they decide they're going, you know what we're going to do? We're going to build a tower to heaven. This is what we're going to do. Lord have mercy. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. That's a powerful statement coming from an omnipotent God. They were unified, and he said there will be nothing that they can do, that they can't do, that they've imagined. So God confuses their language. Everyone has to go with the per people that they understand, hence the reason why we have hundreds of languages today. Or maybe let's just take Lifehouse's impact on our city and on our, on our world even. We've had the opportunity to sow into the school systems. We've, we've built churches in Africa. We've been able to feed those that are homeless build beds for kids that were sleeping on the floor, see marriages and families restored, and see people get through addictions, seeing them broken. Amen? This all happens when people are together, single-minded and unified, and why our relationships are so important. You see, this kingdom principle is called the power of agreement. Somebody say agreement. It literally means to accept or give consent to something or someone. It could be with God, man, or some type of cause. So let me ask you this morning, what have you agreed to? Who have you agreed with? You see, your agreement exhibits your alignment. It means to go along with. And when we agree, we also give permission and access to our lives and the consequences thereof. 
Anybody ever been on a date, multiple bad dates with the same person? I mean, they asked you if they could take you back out, and you know that it won't going to be good, but you still said yes. But then you were frustrated that it didn't go well, but you kind of knew that it wasn't before you got there. You should have known something was up when you went on a, on a date, and, and he said, oh, man, I forgot, my, I forgot my wallet, and you had to go pick him up. But we do this and we get frustrated because the truth is, is that we don't, we're not dating potential. We're dating patterns, as Pastor John would say. Amen? Some of us need to break off some of these agreements with people that we have unhealthy relationships with. Because the impact of those unhealthy relationships oftentimes send us to a place of frustration, anger, and depression. We have to examine who it is that we have agreements with. What about our worldview and our causes? Some of these things that we see in the world socially, politically, you know, even whatever kind of causes, environmentally, whatever it is that those causes are, they may be good. But we have to be careful not to give too much of ourselves over to it that we would not take it on as our identity. That becomes a problem. But agreement with God. Somebody say with God. You see, what happens when we agree with God? There's benefit to having agreement with God. Because when we agree with God, we're literally telling the Lord that his way is the best way. And understanding that agreement with God is a two-way street. The Lord is not a vending machine that we could just go up and pop a little prayer quarter in there and just expect it to just come out, whatever it is that we want. But when we agree with the Lord, we're telling him that we've literally counted the cost, that we changed the way that we think that we, that we have prioritized God over all things, and we've decided to not only follow Christ, but to obey him as well. Amen? When we receive the love of God, it literally changes us. I don't know about y'all, but I remember who it was that I used to be. And if you just take a look at who you used to be before you agree with God, then you would praise God and put your hands together because you know the kind of person you used to be. And how God loved you, even if he had to reach way down. And some of us, he had to reach way in the pit to get up. I'm talking about myself right now. I'm talking about you. But I know what God had to do to get this little short man straight. I know what he had to do. And I thank God for his love. I thank God for deliverance from sin, bad habits, and, and, the, and the traps that the enemy has laid. When you agree with God, it enables you to be able to walk in the promises of God as a child of God, you get access to God's peace, the peace that passes all understandings in the midst of a storm. If you find yourself weak at any time, the word of God says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. You have a right to answer prayer. You don't have to wonder, is God going to answer your prayer? Of course he does. He hears the prayers of all of his children. You don't have to worry about whether he'll protect you when times get tough. Because he says that he's a refuge. And most of all, he says his presence is with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But this all happens when we agree with God. You literally unleash the power of God in your life when you agree with God and his word. Ephesians 3.20 says that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think according 
to the power that works in you. That power that works in you literally is your faith and your agreement with God. So whatever it is that you are willing to believe God for, he can do more than what you can believe him for. But you got to believe him first. You got to agree with God, his word and his will. When, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, Jesus, and he gave them the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. At the end of that, Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray that prayer, you're literally asking God to do the thing in heaven. Let, let the thing that is done on in heaven happen on earth. Let the thing, God, that you want happen in my life. In other words, God, I give you permission, Lord. I agree with you. The Lord's like, I want to send somebody. God, send me. I need to help somebody. God, send me. You literally cause things to happen when you agree with God. Amen. Somebody say amen. Tell your neighbor, agree with God. Agree with God. Because uncommon relationships start with God. But see, there are enemies of agreement. There are enemies of agreement. Preference. Preference, uh-huh. Everybody like, mm, yes, Jesus. Lord have mercy. Yes. Preference. The scriptures say, how can two walk together if they don't agree? The enemy literally uses our, our preferences to keep us divided. We want things the way that we want. I want you to know that today, that this is the most divided day in our country. And I ain't talking about the Super Bowl. I'm talking about church. Because people go to church and they say, I don't want to go to church because there's young people there. I don't want to go to this church because it's, it's old people there. I don't want to go to this church because too many black people. There's too many white people. There's too many short people, tall people. You know what? I don't like the pastor. I don't like the music. I don't like the kids ministry. I don't like the pa- I don't like the pastor's wife. What do you like? What is it that you like? What is it that you like? See, when we get caught up in our preferences, what happens is that people go where their preferences are met, not where God leads, and the truth can be taught. But the question is, what matters to God? What matters to God? And when did our preferences become more important? You see, these things are foolishness to God. It literally turns church, his body, the arms and feet, the legs of Jesus, it turns his body into something that we consume for our own benefit, not a community of believers with common purpose and common mission. And granted, I understand that having a common purpose and common mission does not mean that we're going to agree on every single thing. But I love here at Lifehouse that one of our core values is mission over preference. That is, that means that we, add, we, we, we stay focused on the things of God. We stay focused on the love of God. We stay focused on the truth of God. I know there's something in here that, that you don't like. Some of us are mad that we're wearing masks. Some of us ain't wearing no masks. Some of you here mad that we ain't got donuts no more. Somebody mad at the song that was sing. You mad at something, but you know what? There's always going to be something that ain't going to go right. But if you stay focused on the common mission and purpose that God has given us, what will happen is it will keep us together. This keeps us together. This is what it is. 
that God desires. This is what Paul meant when he said, be single-minded. One faith moving in the same direction. Not only do our preferences get us in trouble, but also our perception. I don't know about y'all, but I've been wearing glasses since I was nine years old, and yes, they get on my last nerves. But my glasses, are, I got these transition lenses. I got these transition lenses, and what happens is, is that when I go out into uh, <clears throat> outside, the sun's rays cause my glasses to change colors. And many times I've had these glasses for so long that they change color a lot of times without me even knowing it. And when, what also happens as a byproduct of that is that when I look at certain things, the colors change. So I, my, my, my oranges become red sometimes, and the blues look purple sometimes. And, and what happens is that the image that I see is now distorted because of the lens that I'm looking through. Sometimes I got I to gotta take my glasses off to make sure that I can see the true image of what it is that I'm looking at. How many times do we do that with people? We look at them through a distorted lens. Jesus was criticized. Jesus was criticized because he ate dinner with Zacchaeus and, the other, and, and with other people that the Pharisees would call sinners. Zacchaeus was a social outcast. He was a villain. He was a tax collector. He, the, the tax collectors were Jews that worked with the Roman government in order to collect taxes for them. The, the Jews were already oppressed, and they didn't like that too much, and they felt like the tax collectors were traitors. Interesting that there was one that hung with Jesus. They call, they, they looked at Jesus, they criticized him for hanging with them. How in the world is the, is the Holy One, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, going to be hanging with this ungodly traitor? How's he going to be hanging with him? Zacchaeus stole $10 from me last week. How in the world he going to be sitting there hanging out with Zacchaeus? Jesus see him, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down off that tree. I know you're short. Come down off that tree. I'm going to eat dinner with you today. See, what happened was is that, is that the Pharisees saw an unworthy sinner for Jesus to be able to eat dinner with, but Jesus saw somebody that he loved. Jesus saw somebody that he would once die for. Do we see people the way that God sees them, or are we looking through a lens that distorts the true image of who God made people to be. Look, we can't be throwing people away. We just can't be throwing people away. Amen, somebody. Amen, somebody. We can't be throwing people away. I know that people out here jacked up, messed up from the floor. They, I, I know people, there's stuff going on out here, and we know all of these things are happening. Sometimes, even in the midst of church, sometimes the most. But we can't throw people away because we weren't thrown away. Jesus touched the lame. He touched the sick. He touched those that were lepers. He touched the adulterers, the liars, the poor, the prostitutes, those that were outcasts. He touched the least of these, those that didn't nobody want anything to do with. Jesus touched them. And if you think about that, Jesus touched us because we were one day just like them. So if we throw people away, we're really throwing ourselves away. Jesus tells us to love people as we will love ourselves. So we got to be careful about the lens that we look at people through. We need to see people through the lens of God and not through the lens of the world or the lens of our brokenness or the lens of our experiences or the lens of our teaching. 
or the lens of whatever it is that has indoctrinated us. We have to guard our hearts and our minds against negative influences. Why? Because those things impact the way that you see people. If you believe that people are those things, then you will say that they are. Because perception is reality. It doesn't matter of whether it's true or not. We've been in a, a place where people have said facts don't matter no more. How I feel about it is how it is. When did that become the truth? We got to be careful because when our hearts turn, Scripture says that the man think of it in his heart, so is he. So when our hearts turn, our perceptions become negative. And while we're sitting here talking about relationships, when our hearts turn, this is when families have a hard time reconciling. When your heart turns, this is how it's hard for your marriage to come back together. When your hearts turn, this is when you don't want to come back to church. When your hearts turn, this is when you think that entire individual and people groups, it's easy to judge them before you even have a relationship with them. I love the fact that our Lifehouse core value is honor all people. In 1 Peter 2 and 17, the scripture says that we need to fear the king and honor all people. But why is that hard? Because the way we think about people influences those things. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, let Jesus heal you and renew your mind. Because the lens that we are looking through, though that it, 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 it's that place, really how we feel about people and what we think about people really has nothing to do with them and more so to do with us. So we have to be careful not to fall victim to perception. Because when our perception is distorted, we fall back into the safety of our preferences. And see, that vicious, that vicious cycle destroys any chance at all that we can have healthy, uncommon relationships. Amen? I hope this is helping somebody. You see, we can stay united if we stay focused on our common mission and purpose, not give in to our perceptions and our preferences and guard our hearts against negative influences. Paul also told him, don't do anything, nothing done in strife for personal gain, but esteem others higher than yourself. Now, look, Jesus oftentimes used the Pharisees as sermon illustrations. And he tells them in Matthew 6, he tells his disciples to not be like the Pharisees. The first thing that Jesus called them were hypocrites. Now, hypocrites aren't people that just they, they're, they're, they, do, they say one thing and they, they do another. That's not necessarily what hypocrites are. Hypocrites in the, 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 biblical, the biblical term means actor. Hypocrites means actor. When the Pharisees would give their offering, when the Pharisees would pray, when the Pharisees would fast, they would act. They were acting. They looked all broke up. They would do stuff in such a way, oh, you see what I'm doing. I, I pay my tithes. I pay, my, I pay all my offerings. You see what I'm doing? Y'all see what I'm doing, right? I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm serving God. I come to church every Sunday. I pray all the time. They was doing it. They were acting. Why was they acting? Because those are things that the Word of God calls offerings and are sacrifices that are meant to glorify God. But they were acting as if they were glorifying God when they really were glorifying themselves. They were acting. Jesus said they were hypocrites. He said, don't do that. Why? This is because whatever it is that we do, we should do it as unto the glory of God. 
Proverbs 27, 2 says, look, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth and outsider and not your own lips. When you know that you are loved in the sight of God, you don't need to do things to gather somebody's admiration. You don't got nobody that you up all the time. And if you do that, you get the reward that you were looking for. Somebody clap you up. But if you know that the higher reward comes from God, you will do it in such a way that God rewards you. You may not get the clap. You may not get the admiration from man. But let me tell you that God says set your affections of things that are above and not beneath. When God brings you his reward, it is the reward that does not go away. Can't nobody steal it. Can't nobody take away what God has for you. Do it as unto the glory of God. Somebody say amen. We have to esteem higher. Esteem others higher than ourselves. Plainly put, be considerate. Let's just be considerate. Trips me out when I see angry Christians. That's an oxymoron. Mean Christian. What the world is that? Be considerate. Let's practice that. What do I mean? Put the basket back at Walmart. Put the basket back at Walmart. Put it back in Target. Stop leaving the park. Stop leaving the basket in the parking spot. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Don't take that object. Don't take that piece of produce, that shirt, all the way to, to the front where the cashier is. Decide you don't want it and just tap it on, pull it over to the side where the, where the candy is. Come on now. Put that thing back. Don't make somebody else's job. And let me tell you how the enemy works. Because we'll say, well, at least you know that everybody got to have a job. No, that's not what that is. Let's be considerate. Be kind. And assume the best of people. We need to understand that everything that happens to us is not because it's malicious. We know it's not malicious, but we're more so angry about being inconvenienced. But when we mess up, we need people, we want people to know, you know, I ain't mean that right. We have to assume the best. Because being other focused causes us to be like Jesus, because he was. He was others focused. The scripture said that Jesus went about looking to do good. We have to obey these things. And when we do, it shapes and molds our heart to be like Christ. Philippians 2.5. Anybody getting something out of this? Philippians 2.5 says here, um, I love the way this says. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. But I like, I like the King James Version because I'm old school. It said, let this mind, this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, look, real quick, before you say, now, now, this means to, to make the conscious decision to have the same mindset as Christ. Now, before you say, well, look, of course, Jesus did, of course, Jesus did those things. It's Jesus, right? Because, you know, that's what we do sometimes when we think it's hard or we just don't want to do it. We're like, yeah, just Jesus. The scripture says let. Let means it references per permission, consent, agreement. As we talked earlier about choice, this mind signals that we naturally have a mind set that this verse that's different from the mind of Christ. Amen? In Christ references the source of which the mindset comes from, of Christ. Now, look, I'm going to move through this real quick. If we say, how can I have the mind of Christ? If you have the spirit of God, 
then you can have the mind of Christ. The scripture lets us know that no man knows what's in the mind of a person except the spirit of that person. In other words, no one knows what you're really thinking but you and God. Okay, but when I mean, but you, none of us really know what you're speaking, but that's connected from your spirit and your soul, which is where your mind resides. So nobody knows that. But if you have the spirit of God, the scripture tells us that the spirit of God reveals what is in the mind of God because it is God's spirit. So if we have God's spirit on the inside of us that's made us new and born again, then what happens is that we can have a connection with the mind of Christ. Because we have the spirit of God that comes from God. Amen? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Say amen if you know. So I can have the mind of Christ because I have the spirit of God. That's the mind that comes from and pleases God. But my natural mind comes from and pleases me. And these two things are constantly at war with each other. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Our natural mind is the mind that is determined to please ourselves and our desires and our appetites. But the mind of Christ is set to please the Father. So when you find yourself doing, and y'all know the war that I'm talking about, when something happens and you got a choice and you got a thought, do I do what I want to do or do I do what God says I should do? That lets us know that the mind of Christ is there, that there, that war, the existence of that war signals that the, the mind of Christ is there. And if we practice operating in that mind, what happens is, is that our thoughts, turn into actions. Our actions turn into habits, and what happens is our habits change our lifestyle. This is where the fruit of the Spirit is grown in our lives. Let me ask you something. What would happen to your relationships with your boss, your colleagues, your siblings, your parents, friends, enemies, gosh, your strangers? How would, how would your relationships change with them if your actions and your thoughts stem from a place of faith, love, joy, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, patience, and peace. The mindset that produces an uncommon life and an uncommon relationship. Amen? This is the root of what relationships are all about. You may say, how did Christ approach his relationships? He approached them with humility. You can come on up, Jarvis. He approached them with humility. The scripture lets us know that Christ came down from earth. He laid aside his divine form, his power, and his privileges, and he came down as a helpless baby. Just so he could die. Now, I don't know about y'all, but death is something that's typically always disturbing to us, no matter what it is that you believe in. You know, it's just, it's, it's something about death that, that, that makes us uneasy. And it makes us want to avoid. So much so, in the movies, you see, you see people chasing after the, the fountain of, 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 of youth. Or in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they're trying to find the Holy Grail so that they can have eternal life. Or if you think about real life, Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos trying to figure out how they can beat death. Well, of course they would. They're billionaires. We take pills, exercise, whatever it is that we can do to slow death down, avoid it. Because there's something 
on the inside of us that innately wants to live. And you may say, the question is why? Why is that? Why is it that death hits us the way it does? Because man, <laughs> man wasn't created to die. Death for us is the most unnatural thing. Because God, when God created us, it was very good. He created us to have life, not experience death. That live and have relationship with him. But the sin that Adam committed caused death to come into the world. And the wages of that sin causes us to be separated from God. So we have an issue with death. Man was born to live. But see, that was not the case with Christ. Christ came down here to die. Christ was born to die. The only one. It was for this purpose that he said he came to die. Matthew 20, 28 says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus laid his life down for us. Jesus models relationship for us. First with God, then with others. He did not put his will above God's. He took every opportunity that he could to serve and to love others. Those that loved him, those that opposed him, but especially those that were lost and in need of a Savior. And because of that, God gave him a name that was above every name. Will you stand with me? Because Christ obeyed God, even unto death, he became the author and finisher of our faith. He gave his life that we would have life, eternal life with God. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved, but by the name of Jesus. The last thing I want to share with you is a picture. Will you close your eyes with me? In Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, the scripture reads, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is a picture of what heaven will look like when we get to crown Jesus as King. All of us together, single-minded and unified. How uncommon will that be? Now look, we can all admit that we would like to have better relationships. And if you want to have uncommon relationships, then it starts with the most important relationship of all, that being with Jesus. 
And today, God lovingly invites us to have relationship with him by taking the first step. This is the reason why he sent Christ Jesus to die, to pay the debt that we could not pay to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we should have. So that we would not be alone, not in this life or in the next. So if we're going to have uncommon relationships, we need to recognize that it first starts with the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word today. We pray, Father God, that your word has fallen on good ground. Thank you for your uncommon life. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for teaching us and modeling for us what it means to have uncommon relationships. We love you, Lord, and we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.